Section six of the Rough Riders by Theodore Roosevelt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. Chapter three, part two. General Young's fight at Las Guasimas. After we had driven the Spaniards off from their position to our right, the firing seemed to die away so far as we were concerned, for the bullets no longer struck around us in such a storm as before, though along the rest of the line the battle was as brisk as ever soon we saw troops appearing across the ravine not very far from where we had seen the spaniards whom we had thought might be cubans again we dared not fire and carefully studied the newcomers with our glasses and this time we were right for we recognized our own cavalrymen we were by no means sure that they recognized us however and were anxious that they should but it was very difficult to find a clear spot in the jungle from which to signal so sergeant lee of troop k climbed the tree and from its summit waved the troop guidon they waved their guidon back and as our right wing was now in touch with the regulars i left jenkins and o'neill to keep the connection and led llewellyn's troop back to the path to join the rest of the regiment which was evidently still in the thick of the fight i was still very much in the dark as to where the main body of the spanish forces were or exactly what lines the battle was following and was very uncertain what i ought to do but i knew it could not be wrong to go forward and i thought i would find wood and then see what he wished me to do i was in a mood to cordially welcome guidance for it was most bewildering to fight an enemy who one so rarely saw i had not seen wood since the beginning of the skirmish when he hurried forward when the firing opened some of the men began to curse don't swear shoot growled wood as he strode along the path leading his horse and everyone laughed and became cool again the Spanish outposts were very near our advance guard, and some minutes of the hottest kind of firing followed before they were driven back and slipped off through the jungle to their main lines in the rear. Here, at the very outset of our active service, we suffered the loss of two as gallant men as ever wore uniform, Sergeant Hamilton Fish at the extreme front while holding the point up to its work and firing back where the Spanish advance guards lay, was shot and instantly killed three of the men with him were likewise hit captain capron leading the advance guard in person and displaying equal courage and coolness in the way that he handled them was also struck and died a few minutes afterward the command of the troop then devolved upon the first lieutenant young thomas like capron thomas was the fifth in line from father to son who had served in the american army though in his case it was in the volunteer and not the regular service the four preceding generations had furnished soldiers respectively to the revolutionary war the war of eighteen twelve the mexican war and the civil war in a few minutes thomas was shot through the leg and the command devolved upon the second lieutenant day a nephew of Abermarle cushing he who sunk the great confederate ram day who proved himself to be one of our most efficient officers continued to handle the men to the best possible advantage and brought them steadily forward l troop was from the indian territory the whites indians and half-breeds in it all fought with equal courage captain mcclintock was hurried forward to its relief with his troop b of arizona men in a few minutes he was shot through the leg and his place was taken by his first lieutenant wilcox who handled his men in the same soldierly manner that they did among the men who showed marked courage and coolness was the tall color sergeant wright the colors were shot through three times when I had led G Troop back to the trail, I ran ahead of them, passing the dead and wounded men of L Troop, 
passing young fish as he lay with glazed eyes under the rank tropic growth to one side of the trail. When I came to the front, I found the men spread out in a very thin skirmish line, advancing through comparatively open ground, each man taking advantage of what cover he could, while Wood strolled about leading his horse, Brody being close at hand. How Wood escaped being hit, I do not see, and still less how his horse escaped. I had left mine at the beginning of the action, and was only regretting that I had not left my sword with it, as it kept getting between my legs when I was tearing my way through the jungle. I never wore it again in action. Lieutenant Rivers was with Wood, also leading his horse. Smedberg had been sent off on the by no means pleasant task of establishing communications with Young. Very soon after I reached the front, Brody was hit, the bullet shattering one arm and whirling him around as he stood. He had kept on the extreme front all through, his presence and example keeping his men entirely steady, and he at first refused to go to the rear. But the wound was very painful and he became so faint that he had to be sent. Thereupon, Wood directed me to take charge of the left wing in Brody's place, and to bring it forward. So over I went. I now had under me Captains Luna, Muller, and Houston, and I began to take them forward, well spread out through the high grass of a rather open forest. I noticed Goodrich, of Houston's troop, tramping along behind his men, absorbed in making them keep at good intervals from one another and fire slowly with careful aim. As I came close up to the edge of the troop, he caught a glimpse of me, mistook me for one of his own skirmishers, who was crowding in too closely, and called out, Keep your interval, sir! Keep your interval and go forward! A perfect hail of bullets was sweeping over us as we advanced. Once I got a glimpse of some Spaniards apparently retreating, far in front and to our right, and we fired a couple of rounds after them. Then I became convinced, after much anxious study, that we were being fired at from some large red tile buildings, part of a ranch on our front. Smokeless powder and a thick cover in our front continued to puzzle us, and I more than once consulted anxiously the officers as to the exact whereabouts of our opponents. I took a rifle from a wounded man and began to try shots with it myself. It was very hot and the men were getting exhausted though at this particular time we were not suffering heavily from bullets, the Spanish fire going high. As we advanced, the cover became a little thicker, and I lost touch of the main body under wood. So I halted, and we fired industriously at the ranch buildings ahead of us, some five hundred yards off. Then we heard cheering on the right, and I supposed that this meant a charge on the part of the wood's men, so I sprang up and ordered the men to rush the buildings ahead of us. They came forward with a will. There was a moment's heavy firing from the Spaniards, which all went over our heads, and then it ceased entirely. When we arrived at the buildings, panning and out of breath, they contained nothing but heaps of empty cartridge shells and two dead Spaniards shot through the head. The country all around us was thickly forested, so it was very difficult to see any distance in any direction. The firing had now died out, but I was still entirely uncertain as to exactly what had happened. I did not know whether the enemy had been driven back or whether it was merely a lull in the fight, and we might be attacked again. Nor did I know what had happened in any other part of the line, while as I occupied the extreme left, I was not sure whether or not my flank was in danger. At this moment, one of our men who had dropped out arrived with the information, fortunately false, that Wood was dead. Of course, this meant that the command devolved upon me and I hastily set about taking charge of the regiment. 
I had been particularly struck by the coolness and courage shown by Sergeants Dame and Michelhenny, and sent them out with small pickets to keep watch in front and to the left of the left wing. I sent other men to fill the canteens with water, and threw the rest out in a long line in a disused sunken road, which gave them cover, putting two or three wounded men who had hitherto kept up with the fighting line, and a dozen men who were suffering from heat exhaustion, for the fighting and running under that blazing sun through the thick dry jungle was heartbreaking into the ranch buildings then i started over toward the main body but to my delight encountered wood himself who told me the fight was over and the spaniards had retreated he also informed me that other troops were just coming up the first to appear was a squadron of the ninth cavalry under major demick which had hurried up to get into the fight and was greatly disappointed to find it over they took post in front of our lines so that our tired men were able to get a rest, Captain McBlain of the Ninth good-naturedly giving us some points as to the best way to station our outpost. Then General Chaffee, rather glum at not having been in the fight himself, rode up at the head of some of his infantry, and I marched my squadron back to where the rest of the regiment was going into camp, just where the two trails came together and beyond, that is, on the Santiago side of, the original Spanish lines. The Rough Riders had lost eight men killed and thirty-four wounded, aside from two or three who were merely scratched and whose wounds were not reported. The 1st Cavalry, White, lost seven men and eight wounded. The 10th Cavalry, Coward, one man killed and ten wounded. So, out of 964 men engaged on our side, 16 were killed and 52 wounded. The Spaniards were under General Rubin with, as second-in-command, Colonel Alcarez. They had two guns and eleven companies of about hundred men each, three belonging to the Puerto Rico Regiment, three to the San Fernandino, two to the Talavero, two being so-called mobilized companies from the mineral districts, and one a company of engineers, over twelve hundred men in all, together with two guns. Note. See Lieutenant Mueller, E. Tijero, Combate e Capitulacion de Santiago de Cuba, page 136. The lieutenant speaks as if only one echelon of seven companies and two guns was engaged on the 24th. The official report says distinctly, quote, General Rubin's column, end quote, which consisted of the companies detailed. By turning to page 146, where Lieutenant Tejero enumerates the strength of the various companies, it will be seen that they averaged over 110 men apiece. This probably does not include officers, and it's probably an understatement anyhow. On page 261, he makes the Spanish loss at Las Guasimas, which he calls Sevilla, nine killed and 27 wounded. Very possibly, he includes only the Spanish regulars. Two of the Spaniards we slew, over on the left, were in brown instead of the light blue of the regulars, and were doubtless guerrillas. General Rubin reported that he had repulsed the American attack, and Lieutenant de Gerald states in his book that General Rubin forced the Americans to retreat and enumerates the attacking force as consisting of three regular regiments of infantry, the 2nd Massachusetts and the 71st New York, not one of which fired a gun or were anywhere near the battle, in addition to the 16 dismounted troops of cavalry. In other words, as the five infantry regiments each included 12 companies, he makes the attacking force consist of just five times the actual amount. As for the repulse, our line never went back 10 yards in any place and the advance was practically steady, while an hour and a half after the fight began, 
we were in complete possession of the entire Spanish position, and their troops were fleeing in masses down the road, our men being too exhausted to follow them. General Rubin also reports that he lost but seven men killed. This is certainly incorrect, for Captain O'Neill and I went over the ground very carefully and counted eleven dead Spaniards, all of whom were actually buried by our bearing squads. There were probably two or three men whom we missed, but I think that our official reports are incorrect in stating that forty-two dead Spaniards were found, this being based upon reports in which I think some of the Spanish dead were counted two or three times. Indeed, I should doubt whether their loss was as heavy as ours, for they were under cover, while we advanced often in the open, and their main lines fled long before we could get to close quarters. It was a very difficult country, and a force of good soldiers, resolutely handled, could have held the pass with ease against two or three times their number. As it was, with a force half of regulars and half of volunteers, we drove out a superior number of Spanish regular troops, strongly posted without suffering a very heavy loss. Although the Spanish fire was very heavy, it does not seem to me it was very well directed, and though they fired with great spirit while we merely stood at a distance and fired at them, they did not show much resolution, and when we advanced, always went back long before there was any chance of our coming into contact with them. Our men behaved very well indeed white regulars, colored regulars, and rough riders alike. The newspaper press failed to do full justice to the white regulars, in my opinion, from the simple reason that everybody knew that they would fight, whereas there had been a good deal of question as to how the rough riders, who were volunteer troops, and the 10th Cavalry, who were colored, would behave. So there was a tendency to exalt our deeds at the expense of those of the first regulars, whose courage and good conduct were taken for granted. It was a very trying fight beyond what the losses show, for it is hard upon raw soldiers to be pitted against an unseen foe and to advance steadily when their comrades are falling around them and when they can only occasionally see a chance to retaliate. Wood's experience in fighting Apaches stood him in good stead. An entirely raw man at the head of the regiment conducting, as Wood was, what was practically an independent fight would have to be in a very trying position. The fight cleared the way toward Santiago, and we experienced no further resistance. That afternoon we made camp and dined, subsisting chiefly on a load of beans which we found on one of the Spanish mules which had been shot. We also looked after the wounded. Dr. Church had himself gone out to the firing line during the fight and carried to the rear some of the worst wounded on his back or in his arms. Those who could walk had walked into where the little field hospital of the regiment was established on the trail. We found all our dead and all the badly wounded. Around one of the latter, the big, hideous land crabs had gathered in a gruesome ring, waiting for life to be extinct. One of our own men and most of the Spanish dead had been found by the vultures before we got to them, and their bodies were mangled, the eyes and wounds being torn. The rough rider, who had been thus treated, was in Bucky O'Neill's troop, and as we looked at the body, O'Neill turned to me and asked, Colonel, isn't it Whitman who says of the vultures that they pluck the eyes of princes and tear the flesh of kings? I answered that I could not place the quotation. Just a week afterward we were shielding his own body from the birds of prey. One of the men who fired first and who displayed conspicuous gallantry was a Cherokee half-breed who was hit seven times and of course had to go back to the States. Before he rejoined us at Montauk Point he had gone through a little private war of his own for on his return he found that a cowboy had gone off with his sweetheart, and in the fight that ensued he shot his rival. 
another man of l troop who also showed marked gallantry was elliot cowden the men of the plains and mountains were trained by lifelong habit to look on life and death with iron philosophy as i passed by a couple of tall lank oklahoma cowpunchers i heard one say well some of the boys got it in the neck to which the other answered with the grim plains proverb of the south many a good horse dies thomas isbell a half-breed cherokee in the squad under hamilton fish was among the first to shoot and be shot at he was wounded no less than seven times the first wound was received by him two minutes after he had fired his first shot the bullet going through his neck the second hit him in the left thumb the third struck near his right hip passing entirely through the body the fourth bullet which was apparently from a remington and not from a mauser went into his neck and lodged against the bone being afterward cut out the fifth bullet again hit his left hand the sixth scraped his head and the seventh his neck he did not receive all the wounds at the same time over half an hour elapsing between the first and the last up to receiving the last wound he had declined to leave the firing line but by that time he had lost so much blood that he had to be sent to the rear the man's wiry toughness was as notable as his courage we improvised litters and carried the more sorely wounded back to Sibonet that afternoon and the next morning the others walked one of the men who had been most severely wounded was edward marshall the correspondent and he showed as much heroism as any soldier in the whole army he was shot through the spine a terrible and very painful wound which he supposed meant that he would surely die but he made no complaint of any kind and while he retained consciousness persisted in dictating the story of the fight a very touching incident happened in the improvised open-air hospital after the fight where the wounded were lying they did not groan and made no complaint trying to help one another one of them suddenly began to hum my country tis of thee and one of the others joined in the chorus which swelled out through the tropic woods where the victors lay in camp beside their dead i did not see any sign among the fighting men whether wounded or unwounded of the very complicated emotions assigned to their kind by some of the realistic modern novelists who had written about battles at the front everyone behaved quite simply and took things as they came in a matter-of-course way but there was doubtless as is always the case a good deal of panic and confusion in the rear where the wounded the stragglers a few of the packers and two or three newspaper correspondents were and in consequence the first reports sent back to the coast were of a most alarming character describing with minute inaccuracy how we had run into ambush etc the packers with the mules which carried the rapid-fire guns were among those who ran and they let the mules go in the jungle in consequence the guns were never even brought to the firing line and only fred herrig's skill as a trailer enabled us to recover them by patient work he followed up the mule's tracks in the forest until he found the animals among the wounded who walked to the temporary hospital at Sibonet was the trooper rowland of whom i spoke before there the doctors examined him and decreed that his wound was so serious that he must go back to the states this was enough for rowland who waited until nightfall and then escaped slipping out of the window and making his way back to camp with his rifle and pack though his wound must have made all movement very painful to him after this we felt that he was entitled to stay and he never left us for a day distinguishing himself again in the fight at san juan next morning we buried seven dead rough riders in a grave on the summit of the trail chaplain brown reading the solemn burial service of the episcopalians 
while the men stood around with bared heads and joined in singing rock of ages vast numbers of vultures were wheeling around and around in great circles through the blue sky overhead there could be no more honorable burial than that of these men in a common grave indian and cowboy miner packer and college athlete the man of unknown ancestry from the lonely western plains and the man who carried on his watch the crests of the stuyvesants and the fishes one in the way they had met death just as during life they had been one in their daring and their loyalty on the afternoon of the twenty-fifth we moved on a couple of miles and camped in a marshy open spot close to a beautiful stream here we lay for several days captain lee the british attache spent some time with us we had begun to regard him as almost a member of the regiment count von gotzen the german attache another good fellow also visited us general young was struck down with the fever and wood took charge of the brigade this left me in command of the regiment of which i was very glad for such experience as we had had is a quick teacher by this time the men and i knew one another and i felt able to make them do themselves justice in march or battle they understood that i paid no heed to where they came from no heed to their creed politics or social standing that i would care for them to the utmost of my power but that i demanded the highest performance of duty while in return i had seen them tested and knew i could depend absolutely on their courage hardihood obedience and individual initiative there was nothing like enough transportation with the army whether in the way of wagons or mule trains exactly as there had been no sufficient number of landing boats with the transports the officers baggage had come up but none of us had much and the shelter tents proved only a partial protection against the terrific downpours of rain these occurred almost every afternoon and turned the camp into a tarn and the trails into torrents and quagmires we were not given quite the proper amount of food and what we did get like most of the clothing issued us was fitter for the klondike than for cuba we got enough salt pork and hard tack for the men but not the full ration of coffee and sugar and nothing else i organized a couple of expeditions back to the seacoast taking the strongest and the best walkers and also some of the officers horses and a stray mule or two and brought back beans and canned tomatoes these i got partly by great exertions on my part and partly by the aid of colonel weston of the commissary department a particularly energetic man whose services were of great value a silly regulation forbade my purchasing canned vegetables etc except for the officers and i had no little difficulty in getting around this regulation and purchasing with my own money of course what i needed for the men one of the men i took with me on one of these trips was sherman bell the former deputy marshal of cripple creek and the wells fargo express rider in coming home with his load through a blinding storm he slipped and opened the old rupture the agony was very great and one of his comrades took his load he himself sometimes walking and sometimes crawling got back to camp where dr church fixed him up with a spiked bandage but informed him that he would have to be sent back to the states when an ambulance came along the ambulance did not come until the next day which was the day before we marched to san juan it arrived after nightfall and as soon as bell heard it coming he crawled out of the hospital tent into the jungle where he lay all night and the ambulance went off without him the men shielded him just as schoolboys would shield a companion carrying his gun belt and bedding while bell kept out of sight until the column started and then staggered along behind it i found him the morning of the san juan fight he told me that he wanted to die fighting if die he must 
and i hadn't the heart to send him back he did splendid service that day and afterward in the trenches and though the rupture opened twice again and on each occasion he was within a hair's breadth of death he escaped and came back with us to the united states the army was camped along the valley ahead of and behind us our outposts being established on either side from the generals to the privates all were eager to march against santiago at daybreak when the tall palms began to show dimly through the rising mist the scream of the cavalry trumpets tore the tropic dawn and in the evening as the bands of regiment after regiment played the star-spangled banner all officers and men alike stood with heads uncovered wherever they were until the last strains of the anthem died away in the hot sunset air End of chapter three part two